Well, if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Second Peter, uh, chapter one, verses twelve to fifteen. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are this summer making our way through Second Peter, chapter one. We're actually in the middle of a broader study in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we'll take that uh, back up. The first of October, first Sunday in October, and we'll be back in Mark chapter 3. But this summer, uh, we'll be looking straight through, working our way straight through Second Peter uh, chapter 1. And this morning, we arrive at verses 12 through 15. So if I could have you stand one more time, um, Mark, or excuse me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, the psalmist reminds us that you are a God of vengeance and that your vengeance always and inevitably shines forth. That you are the judge of all the earth And that you will repay the proud and the arrogant for what they deserve. And you tell us these things because it doesn't seem to be the case. As the psalmist asks, how long, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exalt in the world? How long shall those who absolutely despise your will and way seem to be in charge of everything? How long will they have it in their power to crush the people of God and afflict them at their will? So we're reminded Tuesday morning prayer meeting from our readings of Voice of the Martyrs and other missions, prayer helps around the world. How many millions of your people are actively persecuted? And there seems to be utterly no consequences to, to any of it. And so 
the psalmist asks in our behalf, how long? How long? But Lord, we know that you are the one who created us in your image. And we know our own sense of justice. And yours is perfect. We know that you who made the eye see everything. And you who made the ear hear everything. And that you have enabled us to know you and to rest in you. And whatever our troubles may be, we can rest them in you. We can turn to you and we can lift up the needs that we have, the desires that we have. As we pray for one another's health, we pray for the health not only of bodies but also of souls. We pray for repentance and life and peace. We thank you for the many blessings of life. Lord, we thank you, as was mentioned uh, by Pastor Don this morning, for new life being born to the Hutchinson family in our own congregation. And rejoice with Reggie and Anna in the birth of a son. And Lord, we, we lift up all of these requests before you and pray that you would come and enable us to hear your voice and to know you, that you would use the Bible school program that will run here this week to spread the knowledge of your name even in our own children and through many who are here this morning as teachers, as leaders, as speakers. May your spirit work in our midst in the coming week. And may we all come to know, as we read in Psalm 94, that you are our stronghold, that you are the rock of our refuge. And as to the wider world, iniquity will never work out well in the end. May we see it, hate it, avoid it, Turn from it and walk in your ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Spiritual forgetfulness is a really big deal in the Bible. Those of you who have been in Pastor Terry's Sunday school class in Deuteronomy, as that moves forward, one of the regular themes in the book of Deuteronomy is Moses calling on the children of Israel not to forget, to be fearful and on their guard as regards to spiritual forgetfulness. In fact, right where the class will be arriving today, Deuteronomy 4, in the ninth verse, we read this. Only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget, 
lest you forget. Lest you forget who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, he goes on to say in Deuteronomy 6.12. Take care lest you forget the Lord. And again, Deuteronomy 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest you have eaten and are full and have become built good houses and live in them. And your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. That is, you live in peaceful America and you have plenty of money in your 401k and you've got all kinds of plans for retirement or whatever, your next trip. And because, precisely because of that kind of blessing, then your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Be careful about forgetting God. Nothing easier. Nothing more natural. Now, in Psalm 119, the psalmist flips the idea from warning to declaration and encourages us to be among those who can say that we don't forget, that we haven't forgotten. Psalm 119, verse 61, for instance. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I don't forget your law. I live in a spiritually dangerous place, and the cords of the wicked are swirling all around me. But no matter what the cords of the wicked do, I don't forget your law. Psalm 119, verse 93. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. It's a declaration. It's a claim. I will never forget your precepts. Then Psalm 119 closes saying this. Verse 176. This is a real mixture, realistic close to Psalm 119. The best of us and the worst of us in one verse as followers of the Lord. I have gone astray like a sheep. We're all prone to that. I have gone astray like a sheep. Seek your servant. And then the declaration, for I do not forget your Commandments. That's realism. Catch that? Verse 176, he opens with an admission. I go astray. (laughs) I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And we would all have to add, more times than I can count. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And then the prayer request. Seek your servant. 
If I really am your servant, seek your servant. Well, what makes you so sure, the Lord might say to us, that you're a servant of mine? And that's the close of it. For I do not forget your commandments. I don't forget. By the grace of God, I don't forget. Now that's Peter's ministry, according to Second Peter 1, 12 to 15. He has a reminding ministry the center of Peter's apostolic calling is reminding people reminding us of God reminding us of the truth reminding us of who we are supposed to be in Jesus state our thesis for this morning this way we must be sure that we remember the way of eternal life. We must be sure that we remember the way of eternal life. Because that's what is just described, really, in verses 3 to 11, is the way to eternal life. And verse 12 looks back on that paragraph. Um, And so that's where we will begin. Three headings. Number one. Disciples are to be people of constant remembering. Disciples are to be people of constant remembering. So verse 12 begins with the word, Therefore, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. The New American Standards translation is a little bit better than that because it broadens the term. It's not really these qualities, it's these things. These qualities would sort of limit what he's talking about to verses 5 to 8. These things would include the entire paragraph, verses 3 to 11. Now, that's certainly what he's doing, and so the New American Standard has it better. I am reminding you of these wonderful things that I just told you about in verses 3 to 11. It's not just the character qualities. It's God's activity that produces those character qualities. It's all of the aspects of salvation that he's described in verses 3 to 11. And Peter says, so what I've been doing in verses 3 to 11 is simply reminding you of things you already know so that you won't forget them and that you will live from, from them. See that? Therefore, I will always remind you of these things even though you already know them. I'm not, I'm not imagining that this is all brand new information, that you've never heard it before. No, no, Peter says, my ministry is largely to remind you of all these things, even though 
you already know them. Well, let me just mention one of those. So verse 3. So 2 Peter 1, 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So how did you become a Christian? How do you think about it? You say, well, um, this is how we talk sometimes. Well, I was blessed to be in a Christian home. Well, that's a wonderful thing. Or I happened upon this person. Or I was invited to this event, and sometimes we boil that down to, I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. How did you come to be a Christian? I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, and then and then I heard the gospel. And I was smart enough to see that I needed it. Um, not everybody is, but I was. I was smart enough to see, oh, I could tell that's something. They ought, that I ought to think about. And then, of course, the real key is, and then I made a decision for Jesus. So I was lucky enough to be in the right place. I was smart enough to recognize the offer. And then I actually made a decision for Jesus. Uh, there it is. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Though all of those, there's, there's a piece of truth to all of that. That is not at all how you ought to think of it. Not at all. You are to realize that you are the product, your faith, your Christianity, your relationship with God came from his divine power that granted you everything. And that's how you got where you are. Now, you really did make decisions and you understood things, but it was all given to you. He granted you everything. That's how you got to think about it. I'm reminding you, reminding you, he says, of of these things. If you think about yourself in that way, do you see how unlikely it is for you to become a person characterized largely by self-pity? We, we, we live in a culture that absolutely promotes self-pity at every turn for its own purposes. Feel sorry for yourself. Feel feel put upon. Feel ill done by. Feel whatever. Just feel that way. Feel that way. And then argue about, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most oppressed of us of them all? So we're bent as a culture. No, Peter says. No. No. Not for Christians. You ought to have a a sense. I am who I am by the grace of God. I am who I am. Because 
all things were granted to me by his divine power. All having been given to me. And that's how I ended up with life and godliness. I am so blessed. I'm so blessed. That's how Christians are to think. That's us. That's our mindset. No matter what our background is, that's our mindset. If we've learned from Jesus how to think about ourselves. Secondly, disciples are to be people who remember that earthly life is short. Disciples are to be people who remember that earthly life is short. I think it right, verse 13, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Now again, what the ESV has done is taken a metaphor that Peter used and just interpret it for us all uh, literally already. So if you look at the King James or the New American Standard, uh, they, they, have, they have more respect for our intelligence, you see. So they think, no, no, these people might be able to actually pick up on a metaphor and use it in the right way. Uh, so you should feel good about that when you read, when you read something like this. I think it right that as long as I am in this tent, as long as I am in this tent, now it does, it means your body. As long as I am in this tent, as long as I am in this very um, obviously temporary thing, Right? That's the, that's the metaphor of tent. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but it was a Native American who made the comment after we had been around this country for a while. You Europeans build your houses like you're staying forever. In other words, you're a little dull. Uh, You don't need that house the last 200 years because I've got news for you. You're not. They're right about that. That's how Peter, that's why Peter uses this metaphor. Your tent, you're not staying forever. You're not staying all that long uh, a time. Um, Now, Peter does believe in eternal human existence. And more than that, Peter is not a classical Greek. Peter doesn't believe, oh, the wonderful thing is to be released from your body, you know, and to be, you know, sailing around forever. And so Peter doesn't talk the way we often talk. You know, you know, well, Grandma died, now she's gone to be with the Lord forever. As if Grandma's in her eternal state 
right now. He doesn't believe that. And you're not supposed to believe that either. Uh, Your eternal state is a bodily state. We believe in the resurrection from the dead. So what's he talking about as long as I'm in this tent? Well, he's just talking about the present era. He's talking about the present age. And you're probably, most of us, everybody so far, has died before the final resurrection. So what happens to them then? Well, they leave their tent. What theologians refer to as the intermediate state. Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. In other words, to be out of the tent is to be at home with the Lord. Until you get a resurrection body back, which... You will in the end. But Peter's whole point is this. He understands. He understands. My whole life in ministry is carried out in this brief time that I'm in this tent. Other than the letters that are in the New Testament and the stuff about Peter that you read about in Acts and the Gospels, Peter has had no ministry impact at all in the world for 2,000 years. Zip. Zero. None. None. He hasn't discipled anybody. He hasn't converted anybody. He hasn't encouraged anybody. Hasn't been the instrument of anybody's salvation. So, oh, but, but the, oh, yeah, the letter. But he produced that while he was in the tent. The stuff in the book of Acts. Those examples all took place while he was in the tent. The only impact that he's ever had in the world is the impact that he had while he was in the tent. And that's the only impact you're going to ever have, too. And you don't have much time to do it in. Because, as he tells us, I know that the putting off of my tent will be soon, verse 14, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. Now, there's a lot of discussion among the commentators about when did Jesus make that clear to him. And one of the the most often turn to spot is uh, what Russ read to us this morning, and that's why I asked him to read it. So, John 21, 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go, This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And that's where the other set of commentaries step in and say, that's nothing about how short Peter's life is. And they're right. It isn't. He says when you're old. Well, he could get pretty old. Uh, Now, by implication, the warning was that he's probably not going to get that old because what what Jesus did tell him about is, You're not going to die in your sleep, in your bed. Uh, You're probably going to be executed. You're going to be arrested and executed. And hence the last little 
editorial line. He told him what sort of death he was about to die, a martyr's death. But the emphasis was not on how soon it will be. And so it's, it's very likely that all Peter is saying is Jesus taught all of us that our lives are very short. Uh, he taught us the biblical outlook on, on life. I mean, Jesus almost certainly had all the Psalms memorized, so uh, here's the kind of thinking that Jesus had on the length of life. Psalm, one, Psalm 39, verses 4 to 6. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. As a shadow. Sun starts casting a shadow in the morning and quits casting a shadow in the evening when the sun goes down and darkness arrives. Your whole life, there it is. Like a shadow. Peter says, and your whole ministry is carried out during that little time. Mine certainly is, he says. Mine certainly is. So you better minister while you can because you don't have much time. And I'm reminding you of what's really important. And I'm reminding you that you don't have much time. I mentioned last week the sermons of David Martin Lloyd-Jones and his, his favorite uh, a benediction at the close of a sermon uh, which he's used hundreds and hundreds of times, has this little line in it. This is just one little piece of it, but he refers to this our short, uncertain, earthly life and pilgrimage. This our short and uncertain earthly life and pilgrimage. A short and certain life and pilgrimage. And we do our ministry in that, Peter says. Remember that. Remember that. You'll soon be gone from this world, sooner than you think. And all the service you do is going to be done here for the Lord during that little window. Third and finally, Disciples are to be people who make use of apostolic diligence to promote remembrance. Verse 15, And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Oh, it's back to the same theme, right? Peter's talking, this is Peter's personal testimony. I've made every effort to write a letter like this to you so that after I'm dead and gone, after I've entered the intermediate state, you can still remember these things. Well, that's what we're doing together. This morning, 
In that sense, Peter's ministry continues, right? But it's, it's only the ministry that he had. While he was in the tent, that's when this letter was written. It wasn't written recently. It was written a couple thousand years ago. While he was in this tent. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time, at all times, to recall these things. That's the whole purpose of his ministry, that we remember stuff. That we remember. That we remember God. That we remember the eternal nature of things. That we remember what moral excellence is and who gets to define it and who doesn't. That we remember that kind of stuff. And it's, in, it's important that we remember it, that we remember it always, that we remember it over and over and over again. So I warn you, we, you and I, we, we, live, we live in a culture where the shallowest people speak the loudest, and have the most influence. That's where we live. The shallowest people on earth have over a million people who follow them on Twitter and lean on every stupid thing they say, one after the next, after the next, after the next. And... They come across as profound. Why? Because there's so many people listening to them. And that's all we care about. Because some of them can wield that power pretty good politically in the moment. But we are to be people, you see, who remember. Yes, but... Jeremiah put it, what are you going to do in the end? (laughs) Yeah, very nice, but what are you going to do in the end? What are you going to do with the stuff that we're talking about in Psalm 94 comes around? What are you going to do then? Well, our culture never talks about that. Never reminds anybody about that. Doesn't care a straw for that. Well, that's disastrous. That's why Peter says, no, no, Peter says, you need to be reminded. You need to be reminded about God, about the word of God, about salvation, about the opportunity to find forgiveness in Christ, which, of course, the Lord's table is all about remembrance. Very same language is there. Do this in remembrance. We almost always turn mornings like this, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered. And here's the key lines in this, relevant lines, to you, to you. That the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. 
for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is my body, which is for you. Well, who does he mean when he says you? You. Certainly not everybody. It's certainly not everybody who would even claim to be a Christian because he wants you to discern, warn, look out for yourself. But Peter's actually told us in verses 3 to 11 exactly who he has in mind. Who are, who is it, who is it that takes the Lord's Supper? Well, examine yourself by, by this. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and great promises, so that through them you have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. For this very reason, make every effort and supplement by means of your faith, virtue, and by means of virtue, knowledge, and by means of knowledge, self-control, and by means of self-control, steadfastness, and by means of steadfastness, godliness, and by means of godliness, brotherly affection, and by means of brotherly affection, love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffectual and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities, that is, there's really nothing of this about you that I've just said. You don't even recognize what he's talking about. If these qualities are lacking. That person is spiritually nearsighted and blind. And here's the key line, having forgotten. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure For if you practice these things, you'll never fall. You will never fall. Now, you've got to be careful after I read something like that. Some of you are, are prone to measure yourself against that in such a way that anything short of something approaching Sinless perfection thinks you, oh boy, I'm certainly not that. Well, I don't know that you are reading it just right. You know, you, you, you need to remember what the psalmist says at the end of Psalm 119, verse 176. 
I'm like a sheep going astray. I'm like a sheep going astray. Though you can be this and be like a sheep going astray. And the Lord seeks you. However, however, if you say, well, you know, look, Pastor, that what all that stuff, that's all nice. I don't, I don't really care about any of that. Um, I'm, I prayed a prayer. I like to think of myself as a Christian. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Uh, and therefore, I'm pretty sure the Lord's table is for me. That's, that's Paul saying, it's not for you. No. If you broadly have that sort of attitude when you read what I just read, then you can know pretty certainly that's not you that comes and meets at the table. That's just not you. And we request that you just pass the elements by. At this point, I ask the men if they would come who will serve communion this morning. to the bread. And I receive from the Lord what I also have given over to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. For you. Those who have been made partakers of the divine nature, those who have had their sins forgiven through Jesus, those whose lives are in a process of being transformed by faith for you, for you. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the bread. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that you did not spare your own son but you delivered him up for us all, for us all, with the promise that how will you not also with him freely give us all things? If you gave us your son, if you sent your son to the cross, which you did, surely you'll do anything and everything to lay hold of us and to take us home as those in Jesus. We thank you that it's so, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.